Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 89. The crew is in attendance. Chaz, as always, accompanied by Richard. How are you? Hey, Chaz. What's going on? It's it's going well. Seth, what's up? What's up, guys? Ready for Kaladash Standard, finally. Yeah. No more collected company. It's gone. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) We've got helicopters. We've got treasure chests. We've got a whole bunch of things to talk about. So, um... Kaladesh Standard, finally, uh, the rotation happened, and we are going to look at SCG Indy. Uh, we are then going to move into Moto Talk, some big changes in the Moto uh, world with treasure chests and redemption schedules changing. So Richard and Seth, uh, I think this is a great time to cover that. And then we have a good amount of fish mail to cover. So let's just get right into it. Uh, overall thoughts on Kaladesh Standard, Richard. So it was a fun weekend. Everyone was playing aggro. <laughs> like, literally almost everyone. Uh, there were a lot of smugglers' copters. There was, like, basically zero Chandra. And vehicles is a thing. Wizards, wizards did it. People were driving stuff around. You saw the copter. You saw uh, floating cities. I think Wizards likes the results of this uh, week one format. Uh, but as Seth said in his article this week... Uh, week one results, take it with a grain of salt. Pro tours when the real decks come out, but so far it's a nice change of pace from weird, grindy mid-range matches with collected company. Well said. Seth, what do you think? A little too aggressive for my personal taste. I was hoping for some more slow controlling decks, but that's to be expected on week one where you don't know what everyone else is doing. I think, as I said in my article, and as Richard mentioned, I I definitely take this with a grain of salt, is red-white vehicles, which was probably the most, the best placing deck, either that or red-black aggro, uh, are either of those decks going to be long-term tier one decks? We really don't have any idea. The one big takeaway is Smuggler's Copter is the real deal. Like, that's not tied to any deck. If you look at the top eight decks... Every single deck in the top eight was playing it as a four of, and that includes like a weird Grixis Emerge deck, Green Black Delirium, Red White Vehicles, Red Black Aggro. So apparently no matter what deck you're playing, if you're aggro or you're mid-range, maybe if you're not strictly control with no creatures, but otherwise you just, the first four slots in your deck are four Smuggler's Copters. Like <laughs> that card is even better than we thought, and we said it was the best card in the set. It's It smelled good, it looked good, and it, it, it is good. I... I didn't think it would be a 32 out of 32 in the top eight. Honestly, I can't even remember the last card that was that dominant in the top eight. I really even can't remember. I don't even think there's a card to compare it to. But yeah, Smuggler's Copter is the real deal, like you said, Seth. But I agree with your article. You know, it's week one. There's a lot of aggressive lists when you don't know what to do. Obviously, turning cards sideways is a great thing to be doing. But I, I don't think we're suddenly going to see Smuggler's Copter go away. Like, this is probably a card that we will see for quite some time. Obviously, decks will will shift, and there will be better answers toward, like, main deckable answers toward it to respect the card. Uh, I, I, I remember there was a deck tech with Nick. I think he was talking with Kent Ketter about Smuggler's Copter and wh- what he thought about it. He said, listen, this is a card that everyone kind of wanted to play week one it's a really strong card but it, it is a card that people can answer at the same time you you will see more like uh harness lightnings come out 
and, and there's there's definitely cards that can answer this. So, you know, people saying, oh, it's, you know, collected company all over again. or it's, I, mean, I think people even were, like, talking about banning the card. I don't – I mean, that's just, like, way too much of an over overreaction to the card. I, I just – it's a good card, and I think that's uh, all we can really say about it. So what did you guys think of some of the more exotic decks? We saw a really bad show-and-tell or sneak-and-show <laughs> in Team or Aetherworks. So many bricks <laughs> trying to grab that Ulamog or Evercoal off the top, but it's a very exciting deck where you just generate energy the first three turns, play an Aetherworks Marvel, tap it, and then just slam down Ulamog or Evercoal. There were some control decks. We saw a Jeskai control deck. We saw a blue-white control deck. So what did you guys think of some of the non-aggro options that we saw? Uh, well, I've been paying attention to the Etherworks decks for a while now. They put up some results on weird like Magic League tournaments and uh, different places like that. And I think they're really neat. I wonder if they will be consistent enough. The problem is they... <laughs> They play a lot of really bad cards. You're playing like Thriving Turtle and things like that just because you want the energy so bad. So you play a lot of bad cards to get the energy, which looks awesome when you turn for Emrakul or turn for Ulamog. But when you don't happen to have the Aetherworks or worse, if you Aetherworks and whiff, your deck looks amazingly bad like it's it's hard to describe how bad it is so i wonder if i wonder if it can be consistent enough to really compete but it is powerful when it does its thing i was also really disappointed that they showed a ether uh the reservoir ether yeah works reservoir uh, whatever that deck is a storm deck the very like first round or second round of day one and apparently it didn't win a single match and it's like an against the odds deck it went like <laughs> oh and four but it looked really cool and it won a game on camera so that made me happy because i'm really excited for that deck even though it is apparently horrible yeah i think there's still time for more innovation and all that i like to to answer your question, Richard. I, I also, like Seth, have been kind of playing with testing and w watching the Aetherworks deck, and I think it's a good jumping off point. I think the deck can can survive and and be tweaked to to have a better success. I, I just yeah, Seth, I can't condone that turtle either, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just really can't. But there there definitely seems like it. It's a strategy that can be worked on and at least we have a jumping off point i really like the fact that uh we can play causal x return it's that's not something i immediately uh used in my testing but that did seem really strong uh but there's a lot of different ways you can go with the list i just think um the the list that we saw on on camera while it was 10 and 3 it was successful uh, it, it can certainly be tweaked further. I think there was just a little bit too much. It, like, it was trying to do too much, and it, the, the overall strategy was diluted a little bit. I don't think you can just have eight targets and, like, just pray. You know, there, there are some more things that, like, some more cards that you can uh, include to, to kind of make it more consistent. At least if you don't hit a, an Eldrazi Titan, you can at least try to get something out of it. Yeah, and the last point I wanted to bring up was mana bases. Yeah. Three colors seems very difficult in this format. Uh, lots of enter the battlefield tap lands, and even the fast lands weren't enough to fix this because you only have the enemy fast lands. Jeff Hoogland's Jeskai Flash 
looks very awkward because it's like half his lands came into play tapped and he's yeah. basically behind half a turn all the time. So I think this format's going to be one or two color decks. Three color decks seems hard. Although Ether Hub had a big coming out every, you know, lots of decks were running it for mana fixing plus the energy, uh, the energy generation. So that kind of helps with your mana situation, but I still suspect one or two color decks going forward. Three seems really hard, and you get punished pretty hard by being a turn behind. And I, yeah. I think it, it somewhat depends on your color combination. I think if you look at like the Teamer Etherworks deck, you get eight of the fast lands plus four ether hubs so that's not really that bad but i think so i think if you're going with wedges you're in a better position than if you're playing uh esper control or something that's a shard where you're only going to have one of the fast lands so i think i think it's not that three colored x just can't work but i think you're going to need specific color combinations where you have access to a lot of the fast lands to to make those decks work is my my thinking on it and Etherhub was everywhere. That was in oh, yeah. so many decks, from two-color decks to three-color decks. So that looks like it's for sure going to be the Chase Uncommon from Kaladesh. Like, it was just like almost every deck was playing for Etherhub. Yeah, I agree. I, I also, I'm surprised that there weren't more attempts at, like, one to two-color, like, Eldrazi list. Because, I mean, we talked about that early on, Seth, that uh, we were concerned that maybe there, there just isn't enough uh, fixing for like the colorless actual colorless matters cards for Eldrazi and I think I mean Aether Hub really makes that more consistent. So I, I I think we may see it in the future. I I would be surprised if we don't at least see more attempts at it. I know there was like maybe one or two lists in the top sixty four, but uh, I'm I'm kind of really surprised that no one was trying to do like reality smashers and stuff like that. I wonder if people just figured if. Uh, 90% of the format is playing Smuggler's Copter Aggro, yeah. but maybe the deck is just like too slow for the week one meta, but that could definitely change. The good news about Smuggler's Copter is there are answers. Like, I think yeah. I still have high hopes that you can build a very good control deck in the format. I think that now that we see this metagame, uh, a control player, especially after this week and for sure after the Pro Tour, is going to be able to adjust their answers in a way that that can deal with the big decks that we saw in week one. So I still have high hopes that we're going to see more slow and even straight up control decks develop now that we know what we need to be answering. I made one particular note and I wanted to ask you both. You can tell Jamoka's command is gone. Like <laughs> Jamoka's command was like such a great utility card that it almost just feels like nothing's going to fill that void. I mean that, that card is going to be sorely missed. I mean, and you could argue that right now, Colgan's Command might even be more important. Like, could you imagine right. how good that would be in this artifact right. format? So I think the loss of both of those commands definitely has a huge impact. Because uh, it just it gave decks stuff in the main deck that you don't usually have access to. Like, you randomly have the ability to kill an artifact or kill an enchantment, which isn't something you normally can slot into your main deck. So I think that does have a huge impact on the format. Right, it's just those flexible spells. Now it's just straight up like destroy target artifact, like one, the one for one cards that I don't know is could be it might not be enough, but at least there's harness lightning. I think we're gonna see a lot of that card now. What do you think, Richard? Uh, yeah, I think we saw the strength of artifacts. People play sorcery speed removal. You know, your board gets wiped. You just play another Dirtle dude 
put it in the copter and swing in there. So yeah, instant speed removal uh, is a premium. A lot of people were playing murder instead of something like ruinous path. Uh, they became weak to Gideon, but then they can actually kill a copter. Uh, so there's a lot of choices now. Uh, what's interesting, like you mentioned, harness lightning. When we looked at the card, it was like, ah, it seems okay. Like, what is this, like, lightning strike? But you just get random energy from, you know, your ether hubs. Sometimes you remove a one toughness creature, you have leftover energy from a previous harness lightning. And it seems to be the premier removal spell of this format. It can get quite large. And being instant speed is quite important now, just so you can get those scooter looters out of the air. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, one, one thing we noticed uh, this week was a lack of Chandra. Yeah. The, the hyped card, possibly overhyped card of the set. What, 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 do you, what are your guys' takes on no Chandra? I'm not surprised. I mean, it doesn't, it, it's not really, it doesn't really help you against aggressive lists. I mean, four mana for a, what, Flame, Lash, flame Slash? Flame Lash? I feel uh, Slash, I think. Yeah. Is just not very good. And it doesn't deal with Copter at all. And I think that's like kind of the motif here. It is a little troubling that red was one of the most heavily played colors and still Chandra didn't show up. Because when we talked about it before, one of the big things we said was, well, uh, is red even going to be a color in standard that anyone plays? Well, the answer to that is yes. A lot of people are playing red, but still no one is playing Chandra. And it's a really funny case because when it came out, just watching uh, the pros talk about it and keeping an eye on it on social media, it was very universally hyped. And then in the last week, the mood really changed. And after people kind of got an idea of what the format would look like, a lot of people came out and started saying, I don't think Chandra is really that good. So I think it's a combination of people suddenly being down on Chandra and the metagame that just didn't give it a good week one showing at all. Yeah, I can I can piggyback and add an additional comment here. I, I can definitely feel that mood, and one of the byproducts of that was um, people just liked Gideon more than Chandra. I mean, if the, people felt like paying for mana, Gideon is still like really good, and Chandra just I mean, it it has flexibility, but it just doesn't deal with a lot that's going on right now. It just kind of just sits there. One of my favorite parts of the coverage was when there was a Gideon ally of Zendikar human form and then a Verdurous Gear Hulk was cast. Oh, <laughs> so we had like beefed up Gideon with plus one oh. plus one counters <laughs> and loyalty counters rumbling in and it's like, oh yeah. Total yeah. confusion oh, for new players. <laughs> not only Gideon, but like they would trigger, they would put someone in the smuggler's copter and then put a Gear Hulk, all four counters on the smuggler. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Holy, here we go. <laughs> uh, so, so you know, before we move on here, uh, just quick uh, kind of wrap-up. Where do you think we go from here, Richard? Uh, I'll ask you the same question too, Seth. No clue. <laughs> I think all the secret tech is happening in Hawaii, you know, behind closed doors. You know, I, I expect some of these decks to survive. Like, I've, vehicles will probably be a thing. Whether it's Tier 1 or not is a different question, but... It seems like Smuggler's Copter is the real deal. It seems like cards like Harness Lightning, Ether Hub are really good cards. So I expect we'll see them played. Uh, Scrap Heap Scrounger was another card that showed up a lot. So I expect these cards to be played. But whether or not the whole format is just dwarves and spirits running into copters and into each other, uh, I, I don't know. And I think no one will know unless you're actually 
you know, heavily testing the format, which I'm not. So I'm just going to wait for the Pro Tour and, and see what happens. Uh, I think we're going to see decks that answer the big decks. I That's what I'm expecting. We even saw some of them, like the second place Grixis Emerge list. It lost the finals to Chris Van Meter, who's obviously a really good Magic player. Yep. Uh, but it looked like it had a very good matchup against these aggressive, aggro-y, vehicle-y decks. It seemed like it was in really good shape. So I wouldn't be surprised to see more people... Uh, looking at strategies like that that are good answers to the vehicle decks. And we've seen that in the past where uh, Collected Company and humans were like these dominant forces going into the Pro Tour, and the pros were like, okay, yeah, we'll play Seasons Pass that just wrecks on these best decks. So I think we're going to see decks that beat up on these decks come Pro Tour in a couple weeks. Kind of like humans, like it, humans did have, we look back at uh, like the recent standards, they had their success for quite some time. But you're right. As per your article, we do see a lot of different strategies come pro tour, and I just I have a hard time seeing like no answer to linear aggressive lists. Like they they probably will be still like they're going to be around. I do expect them to be at the pro tour. Um, like Richard said, some of these will survive, but um, you know these first few weeks are just we're getting our feet wet, and we do have to kind of look forward to the pro tour to see where we go from there. That that definitely. Uh, sculpts the landscape going forward. All right, so moving into the large moto announcements, uh, I will I will leave it to you and uh, to Richard and Seth to to cover this. I I do not cover moto that much, but um, there is going to be a segment about uh, its effects on paper magic that I can chime in on. But uh, take it away here uh, about I mean there's some big changes. Uh, so take it away, Richard. Oh dear, where do we begin? The sky is falling on Moto, everyone is up in arms, and I haven't heard a single positive thing about these changes. But let's try to first summarize the changes, and then we can discuss what they mean for Magic Online and Paper. So, Magic Online is introducing treasure chests. So they're a new thing that you can get after winning or participating in constructed leagues, competitive and friendly, and then vintage daily events. So what they are is they're a treasure chest, and inside you can find standard legal commons and uncommons, curated cards, which they released a list, and it's basically every good card on Magic Online. Uh, the average ticket price of these cards, they released 650 of them. Uh, the average ticket price was seven tickets, and this will include things like uh, the inventions in the future. So a list of curated cards by Magic or by Wizards. Modern rares or mythics, and we take this to basically mean any modern rare or mythic, or play points. So Wizards has released the distribution of, you know, when you open a treasure chest, what do you expect from these categories? But within these categories, they haven't released the distribution. So you don't know how likely you are to open a Black Lotus as opposed to a Gear Hulk. So basically, we don't know the EV of these chests. So that's, that's one change, treasure chests. And the second change is a shortening of the redemption window. So basically, until now, you had until past rotation to redeem your standard sets. And what that means is you collect one of each card from a standard set, give it to wizards, they delete it from your collection, and they send you the physical cards in real life. So now that's been reduced to the next block. So basically for Kaladesh, you can redeem until uh, Amonkhet. And that basically brings the window from like two and a half years down to six months 
And what that means is there's going to be a change in the price of cards in the Magic Online economy and also in the paper world because when you're redeeming sets, you're basically infusing paper with new cards. So overall, the general reaction has been very negative. Everyone is confused. People are screaming in every direction. But we'll try to break it down here more objectively and figure out what's going on. So Seth, what, what do you think of these changes? What, what does it mean? Should I sell all my cards in a mass panic? <laughs> well, you cer- certainly shouldn't sell all your cards now because so many people have done that. You're only going to get like 75% of your value of where they would have been like three days ago because the market has kind of crashed to some extent. Uh, but no, I don't think – I think that panic selling is pretty silly. We've seen this multiple times before dating back to the – the first big one I remember in recent years was the, the Kibler crash where Kibler – was upset about the mocks not working well and wrote a big blog post and they took all events down and the market crashed, then it crashed again when they switched over to version 4, then it crashed again when they went to play points. So we see this happen not infrequently and every single time Moto has come through and been okay. So I would not recommend selling off your collection. My initial gut reaction was like, maybe I should sell my collection, but I didn't do that after thinking about it a little bit more. I'm just riding it out and... Oh, and I'm hopeful that things will recover. So there's a few big takeaways here, and this is a really big topic, so it's going to be hard to cover in this podcast, but uh, there's a few different things that are worth talking about. First off, as far as the value of the treasure chest, we just, we simply don't know. We don't have enough information. When I first read over the announcement, I was very convinced that it amounted to a prize cut for events. I've talked to other people looked at the numbers as much as I can, and we just simply don't know. There seems like a decent chance it could amount to a slight pay cut or prize cut for leagues and so forth, but it might end up being about the same right now. So that's one issue, and we just can't answer that. Are you going to get less when you win a league? We don't know. What we do know is... And I think this is one of the big problems is there's going to be a ton more variance in your prizes when you win a league. So before, when you were thinking, uh, should I? am I going to join this competitive league? If I go 5-0, I'm going to end up with X amount of play points and boosters, which equals this amount of tickets. So if I can 5-0, I get this much in prizes. If I 4-1, I get this much in prizes. Now you just have no idea because of these treasure chests, which are untradeable. So essentially, they're three-card boosters that you're forced to open. And even though the values that uh, you stated, Richard, seven ticks for the curated list and whatever for the modern legal rares don't look that horrible, if you look at the variants involved, like most of the time you're going to open a bulk card, and then every once in a while you're going to open something really expensive. So I think that Magic is a game about minimizing variance. If you look at deck building and look about playing uh, how you actually play the game, a lot of the game is about minimizing that variance. And all tournaments forever, the SCG Open, the Pro Tour, Magic Online events have had a price structure where when you went into the event, you knew this is how much value I would get depending on how well I did. And all of a sudden with this change, that's completely gone off the table. You can 5-0 a competitive league, get your treasure chests, you're forced to open them because they're untradeable and literally end up with zero value. Or you could 3-2 a league and get your one treasure chest and open a 250 ticket Rishidin port and get more value than the person that 5-0'd. You just have no idea what will happen now. And I think that's a 
a big source of frustration for value-conscious Magic players who are used to trying to reduce the impact of variance. This is just a huge influx of variance into leagues and competitive play. Yeah, so let's take a step back. So why would they do this? And no one knows. They didn't really explain <laughs> what the point is. A lot of people are saying, you know, Herder, we copied Hearthstone, we have Treasure Chest now, like we did it. And I certainly hope that's not Wizards' intent, because I'm not excited to open Treasure Chest. Are you excited to open Treasure Chest? Like, it's 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 just, you click a button and stuff appears, so I, I don't oh. think that's the reason. Can I just chime in for a second? They don't even like it in Hearthstone. <laughs> <laughs> they real. I mean, I've, I've even, I think, I'm not positive, but I think they're doing something even with that, because uh, there's been issues where I think... It's thirteen and zero for for a draft, right? You yeah. have to go thirteen. Like wait, the, the max is thirteen, right? And you can just get like garbage most of the time. Like you can get like random foils that like don't matter, but usually it ends up being the same. But I have heard complaints. Sorry, I'll, I'll let you continue. Yeah, the the key with Hearthstone, uh, same with like Overwatch and those other games, is one they're extra. You know, it's just something bonus. It's free to play, and you just got some extra crap. So like, yay. Uh, two, there's actually value. You can dust all of your bulk commons and uncommons, which you can then use to basically get your legendary cards. Uh, I don't need more standard legal commons and uncommons. I know people that play a lot. They have a You can't actually delete a card on Magic Online. You actually need to make another account, transfer all of your, like, 6,000 extra bulk commons over, and then delete that account. So, you know, there, there's no value to basically opening anything but a, a chase card worth money that you can sell back to a bot, right? Like, no one's going to use this as a way to, you know, grab the commons and uncommons they need to finish their deck. It's, like, really weird. But going back to where I think Wizards was going with this. So if we go back in time, before the invention of the playpoint, Wizards had a problem with Magic Online in that booster prices were really low. You were getting, like, two ticks boosters, and then it made drafting really awkward, and everything was really weird because they were paying out booster packs uh, as prizes. So they, then along came play points. Uh, we were all up in arms about play points, basically non-tradable currency. Once you put your money in, you can't get it back out. So people have started accumulating tons of play points, and they're not happy. Right? We saw posts on Reddit where people are saying, you know, even if a treasure chest is worth point one of a ticket, I'll take it because play points are worthless. I have 4,000. Let me get rid of them. So to fix this, they've introduced basically a booster pack that's not a booster pack, which is the treasure chest. Uh, you can't draft it. No one's buying it or trading it. So it gives them a way to disperse prizes without actually affecting the booster pack economy and without it being a play point. So I think that's what they're going for uh, with this change. But it comes with some weird repercussions. So wizards can change the distribution of cards as they see fit. One would assume they would increase the frequency of Conspiracy 2 and Commander cards uh, because that's the only way to get them. And then once those sets are no longer the new hotness, they would reduce basically the distribution for those cards. And this basically lets Wizards muck around with the Magic Online economy in ways that no one knows. You know, Liliana the Veil too expensive? Just, just give more Lilianas. Rashad import too expensive? Just give more Rashad imports. And I think having them have this power in a non-transparent way is very scary. Because up until now, you could see, oh, there's going to be an Innistrad flashback draft. Oh, you know, sets are rotating. Oh, there's a new set. You know, you can actually predict what's happening to your collection. Uh, in this case, random stuff will happen, which is why I believe a lot of people are just freaked out and, like, panic selling. They don't want 
you know, their Tarmogoyfs and Lilianas uh, crashing 10% overnight uh, like they have. But because, you know, Wizards decided to change a knob. So in that sense, it's really weird. And I just don't understand where they're going with it. You know, even if it's net EV the same, it's just so confusing as a new player. Now you have to balance play points, treasure chests, boosters, tickets. All I wanted to do was play a game of Magic. Like, I don't want to sit here with spreadsheets trying to calculate my EV to see if I can play, you know, two events tonight. Uh, it's just super convoluted, and I don't understand where they're going. And it's disappointing that they're putting resources into this. This could be resources to fixing Magic Online bugs. This could be resources improving the interface. And this is just going in circles and creating a lot of ill will in the community. Basically, no one knows what they're doing. Based on their track record, every time they do something, it's usually not good. Everyone's expecting it to be bad, so by, by not being very transparent about it, everyone's just really nervous and everyone's just assuming the worst case scenario based on track record. So it's just a lot of churn for no reason. Like, what, what is the benefit? That's why we're just all sitting here very confused and it's, it's, it's making me be a bit sour about Magic Online. Like, it, we're not seeing improvement, and we're just seeing, like, circles being run, which is even worse. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> I talked to someone who's very involved in the Magic Online economy, and I asked them, should I be taking these changes as a sign of things to come for the future? Uh, should I be worried that we're going to have this marketless magic online? My collection's going to lose all their value. And the person said, essentially, uh, the problem uh, you're making and the mistake you're making is you're assuming that the people running magic online actually have a plan. You're applying logic and <laughs> patterns to the situation. Basically, uh, this is just stumbling around and hitting buttons. There's no evil master plan where they're going to be taking everything away. They're just pushing buttons and seeing what happens because that's what Magic Online always does. And that's almost scarier to than the evil master plan of crushing the economy that it just seems very unplanned and no one knows what's happening. Uh, a couple, Just to piggyback on a couple of things you said... Uh, when they switch over to play points, their big reasoning for that was we want it to be easier for players to jump into events. Right now, you win these boosters, then you got to trade the boosters to get stuff to enter an event again. So if we get these play points, you just get to keep jumping right into events again and again with your winnings. And now this chain does the exact opposite. They're taking away things that easily allow you to enter events and replacing them with random cards. So now you don't just have to trade a booster to a bot to get ticks to enter another event. You have to open the booster, hope that you hit something of value, and then find a bot that's paying a reasonable price for the card that you opened to get tickets to enter an event. So it's just so contradictory based on their goal for play points. And it seems like a lot of these problems could be minimized at least if they just made the boosters tradable. Like if they really need another booster and the problem is that these events are impacting the booster economy too much, make these treasure chests as fake boosters that get supply of expensive older cards into the system, but allow people to trade them to bots and do it that way. So you aren't forced to open it and take on the variants on your own. I think I still wouldn't like the change, but I think that would make it slightly better if you weren't forced to open these treasure chests. So basically, like, the legendary cube prize packs. 
that was well received. And uh, the legendary cube prize packs were awesome. They got supply of cards into the market. They were viewed as bonuses, which is part of the other reason everyone's so mad is they like took away boosters and play points from these leagues and replaced them with treasure chest. But the legendary cube prize pass were bonuses. If you did well, you got this on top of your prizes and everyone loved them. And they were also tradable. So there was a bunch of good things and wizards just went the opposite direction with this change in every one of them, making them untradeable making them replace prizes instead of being a bonus for doing well so i think that that might be a better system even even if you cut back on the number of treasure chests that were being given out and gave them away in smaller numbers to people who did really well in events and had that be on top of the normal prizes i think the community would be much more accepting of that than how it is now where it feels like they took away a bunch of prizes and replaced them with these treasure chests that are just very unclear and no one knows what's really going on with them. Yeah, well, to to be constructive here, this is what I think should happen. I think Wizards should just stop with, you know, these leagues, these tournaments with payouts. I don't know anyone who actually enjoys tournaments. Like, the reason why we care so much about EV is basically to figure out if we can go infinite. And by infinite, I don't mean, like, buying, like, eight standard decks. I mean, just literally, if I want to play eight hours of magic, I can play eight hours of magic without opening my my wallet. And to me, that's the biggest reason that I need to calculate EV. So you can just avoid all of these problems, all of these weird gambling laws, all these weird payout things by just implementing a ladder system and letting people play for free. Uh, you know, when they released trophies, there was good reception for that. A lot of people were, you know, showing off their trophies. And that's basically the same as having a ladder and, you know, having rank, right? That makes the games meaningful. Uh, you can play unlimited events. You don't have to worry about skirting gambling laws with payouts. And are you paying real money? Are you, are you paying pay points? So they're not money, so you can skirt gambling laws. Uh, you can just have people play Magic nonstop like any other game, right? I can sit on, log into Hearthstone, you know, spend 100 bucks up front, 200 bucks up front, whatever, and then play for basically 40 hours a week for the rest of my life if I felt like it. Magic Online, I can't do such a thing. And on top of that, I have to balance play points and booster packs. I gotta like trade with bots just to get money back from my booster packs. It's like a big mess. Just let me play infinitely, implement a ladder so you don't have people just like quitting for no reason. And I think that would just fix all of their problems. They don't need to go around and do these weird systems just to skirt gambling laws. And that might be the direction that they're heading. I think the big problem is what do you do about all the people that are already there? Because that represents a huge change for the economy, the people that have collections. I'm assuming the prices would have to be uh, would be zero, I guess. I don't know exactly what you do for like limited as far as prices, but it would represent such a huge change to Magic Online that I think Magic Online's biggest problem is they have so many people that are just grandfathered in under the old system with redemption and building collections and paying tons of money for drafts and to build constructed decks. And if all of a sudden you change that model to a Hearthstone model where everything's super cheap, all those people just kind of uh, uh, get stuck with it. Like They lose all of their value and their reward for sticking with the program through a lot of hard times is uh, the value of their collection just disappears overnight so i think that's the the problem that wizards has to deal with if that is their plan in the long term yeah my suggestion would be to keep card prices the same so don't don't make weird subscription models you have to pay for cards but make the playing free so basically open everything up to the practice room 
But instead of having non-consequential matches, there's a rank attached to you. So you'll feel bad when you drop from gold to bronze or whatever. So that gives you incentive to actually play well. But moving on to what I think is the more important change, and I think this will have significant impact on the paper world, which is why non-Magic Online players need to pay attention. You know, we're used... We're used to wizards messing around with Magic Online and everyone throwing a hissy fit and, you know, whatever. And Magic Online has survived in one form or another. So, you know, even if it's total garbage, the hardcore users like us will keep playing it. But the the impact of paper, to me, is a, a big deal because if wizards messes around with paper, a lot of people will stop playing. And if the prices go out of whack, people will stop playing. And that, I think, would be kind of the downfall of, of Magic. So to reiterate the redemption change, so basically they're reducing the redemption period. So you will no longer be able to redeem cards once the next block starts. So basically standard legal cards will basically be no longer redeemable. And this cuts redemption down from 2.5 years to 6 months in, uh, you know, in, in general, starting with Kaladesh. And what this means is previously, uh, so suppose Chandra is the hotness, right? And Chandra is really good. Come Amonkhet, you can no longer redeem Chandra's. But Chandra is still legal. And suppose she needs to be a 4 of in every deck. How do you get 4 Mythics? Uh, are you going to sit there and crack booster boxes at this point? Usually what people do is just go redeem them from Magic Online. Now you'll no longer be able to redeem them. What this means is the price of Chandra will increase significantly. Unless people are willing to crack tons and tons of boxes just to get a play set of Chandra's to sell. Uh, or you buy list them, but you know who's going to be selling their Chandras? Because if Chandras the new hotness, everyone wants them, right? So we we get this weird supply issue where I suspect uh, on the second, you know, on the tail end of standard, mythics from the previous block will be super duper expensive and hard to come by, and that's already the case today. But it's going to be amplified a ton by this redemption change. I think that's accurate. I I don't know if they're going to spike like to absurd amounts but i i do agree that especially mythics uh will will likely increase towards the tail end because there's suddenly this like this bottleneck to this redemption period now that it's i mean it's so condensed like you said i mean we're going from i mean people can essentially redeem the entire life of a card while it's in standard to essentially a mini rotation before the card even rotated um so i mean that's we don't have any data essentially to to back this up yet but i think that's probably a good reaction to what uh what this shortened uh redemption period will do to cards i think that we'll see a major impact on foils as well which are probably the easiest way to get foils is just to redeem a foil set and uh, that option is going to get a lot harder. Uh, there's just, uh, I think it will have a meaningful impact on the paper market. And it's going to have a really bad impact on standard players on Magic Online. Because you're in this position where if you want to play the hot new standard deck, you're going to have to buy it. Like, you're going to have to buy a Kaladesh deck in the next couple weeks. 
but those prices are going to all of a sudden drop when the next block is released, even though those cards are going to be legal and standard for a whole other year after that. So you're going to be in this equation, if you're a budget-conscious player, where either you're going to have to wait six months after a set releases and Redemption is gone to buy your Kaladesh cards, or you're going to risk losing a lot of value when Redemption goes offline to keep your standard deck and play it for the whole time in standard. So that change, I think, is very bad, especially for budget-conscious standard players on Magic Online. I do think the foils... Well, the good thing about foils is that not many of them really matter, but I, I do see a point with with cards like... We'll, we'll use Collected Brutality as a as an example that has crossover to modern. If, if a card crosses over and the foils are suddenly coveted by players then then yeah there's no release valve for additional foil copies because it was so easy to re to redeem the foil copies essentially i mean it's it's random when you open a pack it's it's a little less random when you can redeem an entire set and, and liquidate that into the market yeah and they're doing this during a time of masterpieces which makes it even weirder uh, we yeah. already have concerns about normal redemption because in a in a booster box of Kaladesh, all of the price, you know, all of the value is tied up in the masterpieces. The rares and mythics themselves are worth less. Cheaper, cheaper standard for players, good thing, yeah, 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 right. But the problem is, who's gonna redeem from Magic Online now? There, there's a fixed twenty five dollar fee. If the cards are not worth anything, like why would you even bother redeeming? So the cards on Magic Online are gonna be very, very low. So maybe it works out. They start low, and then they'll stay low after the weird rotation. Uh, or maybe standard prices are really high because in paper because no one's redeeming on Magic Online. Like, it's just no one knows, and it's just really weird that they would kind of make two major changes at the same time. Changing the redemption schedule in addition to adding these masterpieces and not having them, you know, having them affect redemption in an unknown way. So this, you know, the, the odds that Wizards predicted this all correctly... Uh, I, I'm not too. I'm, I'm not too high <laughs> on that. You know, it's very complicated, yeah, I, and who knows what's going to happen. I, well, yeah, it's it's a good point because it's like you you release uh, an article and and this idea that you want standard to be accessible to players. You don't want a high barrier for cost for players for standard. So we have the exp the masterpieces rather in every set. But then it's like it's odd because you just like you just said you have this another. Not really, uh, more of an obscure uh, announcement that people don't really realize can affect car prices on the tail end, or on the back end, rather. It's it's weird to kind of bottleneck it like that when your overall goal was to keep prices, for standard anyway, as low as possible. I, I, really, think it, I really think that Wizards, to some extent, thought that people were going to be accepting and even like the treasure chest idea like oh man we get a chance to open black lotus in our prize packs that's going to be so sweet and thought they could kind of piggyback or slip through the redemption changes on the back of that but uh, they underestimated magic players ability to get upset about anything <laughs> they do and, and it just kind of all backfired in their face so uh i i don't know i don't know what they're thinking and the big thing for me isn't like, this change is meaningful, but I also do worry about what it signifies for the future, because redemption is just such a foundational aspect of Magic Online that 
Wizards being willing to change that in such a dramatic matter suggests to me that Wizards, is, everything's on the table, and we just literally do not know what to spec, expect moving forward, and that Wizards doesn't mind changing any aspect of Magic Online, no matter how foundational it seems to be to the program. Or paper at this point. <laughs> I mean, it was not that long ago that we were leaning towards like a 90%, I guess, feeling that they would not do, exp- that they would use Expeditions or that, you know, Masterpiece series, I guess we're calling it now, uh, sparingly. So I don't know. I mean, a lot of things are on the table. And I just I just find it odd that they would make this announcement in conjunction with the Masterpiece series because it's almost like, I don't think it's going to be a huge. It's going to impact it hugely as much as the masterpieces do bringing down the price. So I don't think there's going to be huge price spikes or like suddenly every price or every card is a lot more than they would have been with this kind of constraint. But I mean, it just seems really odd. Again, I think they're just. It goes back to you might as well just buy your cards early. I mean. Yeah, it, it's going to suck like investing into 30 or 50 or $60 Chandras, and I probably still wouldn't even uh, advise people to do that. But, you know, the little rares, like $4 copters, I mean, it's it's honestly good to just get it while you're in that first few weeks of opening. I don't know. Yeah, I think the biggest problem with these Magic Online announcements is the transparency. And, you know, yeah. companies don't need to be transparent. But Wizards has lost the benefit of the doubt when it comes to Magic Online. Like, everyone expects bad news when Wizards says there are changes coming to Magic Online. So (laughs) once you have that state in the community, you do need to be super transparent. And you do need to explain why you're doing it and why it's a great thing for us. So, you know, in this case, I think they actually do need it because their reputation is so bad. uh, Because people are running weird theories us included about what's going on there's a lot of confusion Uh, if this is supposed to be good for us then tell us why it's good for us don't just say oh you know they're shiny treasure chests like you know really like why why is this good for us why are you doing this and alleviate some of these concerns otherwise you basically see what we saw my modern decks incinerated by 15 to 20 percent just overnight i can't sell now if i even wanted because it's just dropped in value so much just based on the fear right just based on the unknown of what's happening because this this could have been a prize increase no one even knows right but wizards has just (laughs) has just been quiet and everyone just assumes the worst and i think that's that's kind of their their downfall here right unless it actually is a really bad change, and they're just trying to keep mum about it so that no one knows and hope they, they can sneak it under the rug. But, you know, they, they need to be more transparent here just to restore faith in the community. Yeah, to end on this comment before we go into fish mail on this, it just goes back to what Seth said. And, and, and to just to go off what you were saying, Richard, I mean, the transparency is so essential because we don't have a plan. Like, where are we going? We don't even know, like what the end goal is. I mean, you talked about it would be better to know like if there was some grandmaster plan and we're moving towards something, but at this point it's it's honestly just random. Yeah, I mean, and that combined with the lack of trust that has built up over the years between Magic Online players and uh, the mad people that run Magic Online is just a uh, a tough situation for everyone, I think. All right, it's fish mail time. 
We have a ton of fish mail. Thanks to everyone for sending them in. Uh, tweet, yep. tweet hashtag MTG fish mail to at MTG goldfish, and we'll answer your questions. So lightning round, here we go. Yeah. Uh, at Tom Simons, long-term opinion for Kaladesh Mana Crypt. Between my book promo and EMA, I have too many. That's a good problem. <laughs> I I think that you're pr- it'll probably tick down, but I'm not against holding it. I don't think it's going to end up being worthless or anything. All right. Casey Metronome, I need Goblin Guide and Ensnaring Bridge for Burn. I'm in no hurry. Should I wait for Modern Masters 2017? If you're in no hurry, there's no there's no downside to waiting. Yeah, go- Goblin Guide's probably a shoe-in. Uh, Random Keho, with the new prize structure... How will it affect price of packs as they won't be given as prizes for constructed leagues? Uh, I think the price of packs, and we mentioned this a little bit beforehand, is actually going to be limited on Magic Online thanks to the reduction of cost for entering limit events. So I think uh, from what I can tell and what I've been hearing, that 3.33 ticks is most likely going to be the cap for booster packs moving forward. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's my understanding of where we're at. Yeah, I think that's about right. Uh, Next question. I cut off the name, so I can't tell who it's from. So I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm interested in Death Shadow Aggro. Should I wait for Modern Masters 2017 to reprint Bobble? Or should I pick them up now? Any suggestions on budget goif? We had a similar question like this, I think, last week or two weeks ago. Bobble is just really up in the air. I'm sort of leaning towards them reprinting it because they haven't touched it yet, but I mean, like Richard said, it's one of those weird cards. And I don't think there is a budget option to Goyf, to be honest. Grimflayer, Putrid Leech, uh, Hooting Mandrels, Tassiger, Gurmog Angler. You got some options. Hopefully you're playing black because most of them are green-black. <laughs> Sylvan Advocate? Or nah? <laughs> Sylvan Advocate if you're playing uh, Sucker Tribe Elders and <laughs> Explosive Vegetations for some reason in Modern. <laughs> At Downgrab Fair, this one's for Chaz. What is your opinion of Dual Commander going to 20 life instead of 30? This is such an awful question to have in a lightning round. Uh, it's a huge deal. I don't actually understand why they did that because as it stands aggre- their their methodology behind it was uh, they wanted aggressive lists to be better but aggressive lists were already pretty good like really good i i don't know why i would need to have more time to get a better question or uh, to get a better answer for you i think i read a bit about it and they're basically saying there are a bunch of problematic cards in the format and rather than trying to ban them all yeah we're just going to make the format faster and hope it fixes itself so I, I think that was a rationale. Now, I haven't played any dual commanders, so I don't know if that's going to work, but at least they're telling us why they're doing it. It's just too hard to balance all of the broken cards. Right. So just let I, go loose. <laughs> right. I, le- I like the transparency. They did say they can unban cards, but I mean, like, Titania was already really scary, and I'm like, a, a one-turn faster Titania just feels awful. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. All right. Next question from at Don Rowles. Saffron Olive, have you done any analysis on the impact of inventions on EV for Magic Online? Curious what this does to draft EV. Uh, Well, inventions are not in regular booster packs, so it will technically not do anything. But the good news is, unlike paper, where they're super expensive, uh, which we saw with like Battle for Zendikar, they were in booster packs. On Magic Online, inventions 
weren't that expensive or the expeditions weren't that expensive anyway so it didn't really shift the ev that much because they were super rare and no one really liked them because they were foils so i think it's pretty much a wash and doesn't have any significant impact on anything well if we ignore treasure chests for a second doesn't this drop the ev a lot because when you actually open your packs now the cards are all kind of guaranteed to be worthless because if the price is tied to the you know the redeemed paper price doesn't that drop ev um, I think I think it would potentially drop the EV, but I think if we if we looked at it, I think that the amount of EV that the expeditions actually add isn't that significant on Magic Online because where you have Mana Crypt that's two hundred dollars in paper on Magic Online, it's going to be like uh, two ticks or something. So I think that. It will potentially drop it slightly, but I don't think it'll be that meaningful just because inventions aren't worth that much and they still are very rare. Good point. Next question from Dead Bear. If you could pick one or two budget modern decks and make them no budget, what would it be and how? Oh my goodness. That's a that's a really hard question. Um, if you're looking to be competitive, probably a good one to win with would be the Burn deck. We played Mono Red Burn, and it was pretty successful, but I think you can build that into a Tier 1 deck by going Naya, potentially, or even just Red Green, adding like a Targus Commands, Boros Charms, and improving the mana base with fetches and so forth. So, so that would be an easy one off the top of my head. All right, next question from Despair Faction. Hey guys, what do you think? Like reprinting a card like Innocent Blood in Modern to make it a longer than turn three format. If you guys haven't played against Pox, Innocent Blood is one black. Sorcery, each player sacrifices a creature. I love Innocent Blood. I just don't think it would be the card to make a f- way to save the format. Yeah, it's, it's too good. It's like you're, say you're on the play, your opponent plays Tarmogoyf, you untap, yeah. you Innocent Blood play your own Tarmogoyf, and you just like, huge tempo swing by blowing them out like that. So I think it's too good, and I think just print like more lightning bolts, but not these, yeah. <laughs> not, not these weird symmetrical effects that you can totally abuse. Uh, next question, at Ninja Flamingo. Something I think people are not realizing is masterpieces can, re- can be reprinted in different forms, e.g. Amonkhet. Manavolt. They could, I just don't think it will happen. I think it will happen, but we're not going to see Manavolt again in Amonkhet. We might right. see it three or four years down the road, but they're not going to just print the same ones with different yeah. flavor the next set or even in the next year. So I think that's more of a long-term strategy that we'll see. So I do expect reprints. We'll see the Fetchlands again, but not for a while. That's my that's, guess. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant. Alright, at C. Brown Fit, Aether Vial Inventions have already dropped from 140 to 100. What's the floor? What's the likelihood of a modern master reprint? I I don't know, but they all the the masterpieces on the whole are dropping significantly. So I think under 100 is likely. And modern masters reprint. I tend to think no. They usually like cards that are good in draft for most of those slots, and Ether Vial typically not very good in draft. So I think if they're going to use their limited number of bad in draft slots, it's probably on like Chales to the Void and cards that haven't been reprinted as recently, and not on Ether Vial for a second time. All right, from at the guy Doug. In my heyday, Odyssey block spoilers didn't happen or were quieter. I missed the surprise of seeing the set. What do you think? I do miss it actually. Um, 
I, I did play during that time. I, I bet I was pretty young, but it, it there was something to be like there, there was like a thing about it. Like people all showed up to the pre-release, going down to New York City and uh, like neutral grounds, and no one knew what was going on. Like they were all fresh new cards. I mean, it. I don't know. Maybe it's just the nostalgia, but. I think it's sweet, and we actually kind of saw that with Conspiracy 2. They did the pre-pre-release thing, and the whole set wasn't out yet, so there were, like, cards coming out on Twitter, like, oh, we opened this Mythic at our shop, and that was really sweet. The problem is the market has gotten so big that I don't think they can not spoil things because SCG and CFB and all those people depend on these pre-sales to, like, keep their businesses going. I mean, the compromise is to hide the commons or uncommons or something, but I do miss that surprise. You know, I I, I dislike the guy that shows up at the pre-release knowing every combat trick, even though we publish all of those. <laughs> like, <laughs> what happened to the what happened to the joy of reading cards and trying to figure out what they are? Now we're just like, oh yeah, I know he has removal for three toughest creatures. I can't play this. I'm gonna lose tempo. It's just like really weird for week one. So I, I do miss that surprise, and I hope they can bring it back in, in some form or another. Uh, next question, at Allegris38. What other games, if any, do you all enjoy playing when not playing Magic? I don't really play that much, but I do play MOBA games. I really do enjoy MOBA games, even though the communities are really toxic, but you try to you try to ignore them what games in specific oh so like dota 2 primarily i have played a little bit of heroes of the storm have played a little bit of league of legends so uh you throw a moba game in front of me i'll I'll probably play it i've been playing civilization 5 lately which has been awesome and i'm really looking forward to civilization 6 which comes out before too long so uh, other i don't really play that many games but every once in a while like something really catches my fancy and i get super addicted to it and waste a ton of time on it then after a few weeks i kind of like put it aside and then a few months later i find something else so civ 5 is the latest one that i've kind of gotten hooked on yeah i'm not playing any games now i don't have that much time but previous games i've played or games that are still current uh, league of legends overwatch diablo yeah. 3 starcraft 2 uh, i did play pokemon tcg the other night with my girlfriend <laughs> That was fun, but that that's more of a casual like one off thing until I get hooked. That hmm. is, and then I'll just play. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I was just testing that out just to see what the the hype was. Uh, next question from at not Cody Smith. Do you think Storm Chaser Mage will find a deck in Kaladesh Standard? I think there's a good chance. Uh, it's possible. I mean, it could. It didn't, week one didn't look too hopeful, but <laughs> you never know. It right. kind of gets, doesn't not match up particularly well with the copter, so that's kind of a downside. No, You're one yeah. three against the three three flyers. So wait, vehicles yeah. trigger prowess, right? Or no? They, uh, ooh, they are, I think so. What is the wording of prowess? I think it's non-creature. Yeah. So non-creature spell. Yeah. Just, so it does trigger just prowess. Put the storm chaser mage in the copter. You know. <laughs> uh, shades, shade of Hades. Say magic's growth stops. In Kaladesh, five years later, what would card supply for modern be like for Amonkhet onwards? The, the printed supply, like how many how many boxes they would make for like to distribute. I, I'm guessing they mean the supply of the cards. I think if I'm understanding the question right, which I may not be, I think if Magic Grow stopped, then 
things would still be okay with modern because there wouldn't be as many players playing modern. Right. So I think that it would even itself out. The problem we see with older sets is there's a small supply because the game was small, but over the last few years, we've seen a huge growth in modern. So there's not enough of those cards to go around. If anything, this would be the opposite problem where we have tons of Kaladesh cards and not as many modern players. So the prices could go down, but I think it would mostly even itself out if I'm understanding the question, right? All right, next question from Kovacs G. I'm a regular listener of the podcast. I have some burning questions. One, why doesn't Wizards use serial numbers on Masterpiece series, e.g. 45 out of 10,000? Is it a problem for them if we know how much of a card was printed? Uh, Number two, if Kaladesh Inventions are collector items, why aren't they full art? I don't know why they're they're not full art, but I think they look fine as is. Uh, I wouldn't be adverse to collecting them although i'm not a collector but and in terms of the serial numbers i do think that that's a good point in uh when you say that uh they may not want folks to know exactly how many of them are printed and i think they don't know how many will be printed because they kind of print print to demand type thing so it'd be really awkward if you said oh we're only making x number of these cards and you sold way more than you expected and you're like hey your boxes don't have any shot at getting uh this masterpiece because we've already used up all the copies so i think there's a couple problems with that where uh, i think sports cards have a set print run going into it and when they're done they're done magic cards for standard sets aren't really like that right yeah and the full art thing i think wizards just dislikes full art because they're very new player unfriendly if, if you had to explain to someone what foil textless cryptic command does, it's like not, it's not <laughs> an enjoyable experience for the other person. Uh, so you know some of these cards are quite complicated. So it, it just makes it for makes it really hard for new players. And I don't want to take too much time, but it's either full art or nothing. Like I know they tried to do that like full art with the text on it, and it just does not look good. I think the Mutavault looked good. The Champs eh. Mutaval, I think I think you can make it work. I prefer textless myself because nothing is better than getting someone with a textless cryptic and they just have no clue what's going on. <laughs> so I wish we had more of those cards for the troll factor. But The, the only thing better than textless is Oracle Corrections. <laughs> just just use the old Lord of Atlantis that says, like, summon Lord. And they're like, what? That's a merfolk? <laughs> but, Yeah. I, I, I agree with Chaz. I don't like the weird... You know the game day promos? Those are yeah, technically that's, that's, full art. They look terrible. Right. Muta right. Vault is the one exception. It somehow looks good, but most cards look really bad. <laughs> yeah. uh, next question. Uh, Matt P. The announcement of Treasure Chest raises a lot of questions, but one sticks out to me. Conspiracy and Commander cards are supposed to be released with Treasure Chests, with this being the only way... Uh, I imagine they'll be rarer than cards coming out normal methods. So my question is, how expensive do you expect high-demand conspiracy and commander cards to be online? Uh, well, we talked about this during the the cast. The problem is we don't know the distribution. Our guess would be, I think, that they will make those cards more common in the treasure chest. But we have no idea of knowing what the supply is. Uh, if you want a comparison, look at some of the cards from the Legacy Cube prize packs that were commander cards and none of those are incredibly expensive on the high end but you have a lot of cards that would normally be like 0.2 of a ticks that are like two ticks or something so it does impact the low-end cards quite a bit but we just don't know the supply uh next question from mckicken 007 i pulled a foil mines dilation on moto in an eldritch moon draft currently valued at five ticks with the new changes in redemption 
How do you think this will affect foil mythic prices online? I just think it speeds up the process. The big thing before is you used to see a big jump. You could buy a bunch of like Eldritch Moon mythic uh, foil mythics now and wait till redemption would be about to end like two years from now. And that was easy profits Uh, that really changes with the shorter redemption. So the high value of these foils is only going to last until redemption goes offline because that's where all the demand is from. So I would suggest you, well, mine's dilation doesn't matter, but if it was a Kaladesh mythic, I would make sure to sell it sooner instead of waiting because of the changes to redemption. All right. Last question from from our friend Tomas. Do you think a real-life redemption system could work for magic? Let's say wizards post recipes on how to upgrade certain cards. We can then send in cards required by these recipes to get back a super special promo version of a card. That's a really interesting idea. I, I've talked about that. Well, not the recipe idea, but like a real-life uh, moto redemption. I, I just don't think it'll work out. It seems like it would be very expensive for the manpower right. to actually make it happen. So that would be my concern. Yeah, it's it's just a lot of work. I don't know what the bet like. Just put the super special promo versions of the card in the packs, and then we're at expeditions, right? Because <laughs> then, because like right. basically, you're just saving like postage back and forth, right? You're still gonna calculate, you know, how many people, how many things can people redeem? Let's put them in packs. Calculate the EV, and then just rather than doing the McDonald's Monopoly thing, just literally put the expedition in the pack. So I think they actually did it. They just skipped the redemption part. <laughs> That's all of our fish mail. That, that was awesome. Great questions, folks. Thank you for sending those in. I think we covered everything, gentlemen. So uh, another, another week of uh, Kaladesh Standard. We'll be able to watch that and talk about it next week. Uh, we have Pro Tour coming at the end of the month. Uh, two, not this weekend, but the following weekend. So also, the twenty second and twenty third. Uh, I believe it's the weekend 15, before that, 14, like the fif- yeah, 15, yeah, fourteen sixteen. Also, a note right. for okay. Moto people: pre-release starts Wednesday. They bumped it up a couple days, so if you want to get your hands on Kaladesh or practice for regionals or the Pro Tour, if you're that lucky, uh, Wednesday pre-release events start on Magic Online. Wait, is that when Treasure Chests come out? Uh, I believe they are attached to the Constructed Leagues, and I'm not sure if it'll be this Wednesday or the following Wednesday, but they do start with Kaladash Constructed Leagues when the payout switches over to Kaladash, which might be one more week, I think. All right, and uh, congrats to Chris Van Meter for taking down SCG Indy. So uh, that's a wrap, folks. We will talk to you all next time. This is the MTG Goldfish crew signing out.